Well, good evening, poets. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine, and this is your Rattlecast for Tuesday, November 18th. Thanks so much for joining us. We have a great show for you today, as always. I know I always say that, but it's always true. Uh, today's guest is Nicole Brown, winner of the 2018 Rattle Chaplet Prize, an all-around wonderful poet. Um, and we have, this is episode number 18 of the Rattlecast, but we have a few changes. I'm always tinkering with the format. For a while, I was not including the open mic with um, the audio podcast, Uh, but despite what people say, I was listening to, I always listen to these as I either drive to the office or um, walk my dog through the woods at midnight, late at night, and um, the last couple episodes where we didn't have the open mic included on that audio, I felt like we were missing something. So I'm going to include the audio... I mean, the open mic and the audio version. Uh, The other new thing is that we now have um, the option to call in for the open mic. And you can see on your screen there, the phone number is 818-850-7727. And if you'd like to join in on the open mic at the end of the show, all you have to do is call that number. And um, how it's going to work, I have the Do Not Disturb button up so that I can't hear the ringing. But I'll see that you called. And I'll call you back. Um, if you happen to call at the right time in between poems when I'm just rambling, uh, then I will just answer and we'll talk. But uh, if you call, just call for a while, let it ring a few times, hang up, and then I'll call you back. Keep your phone handy. Uh, keep watching the YouTube stream. Remember, the open mic is about an hour from now. So around, if you're, if you're on the East Coast, that would be uh, about 945. We'll start the open mic. So I'll call you back then. And... Uh, what would be nice is if you read open mic poems that um, are somewhere on the internet, and you can let me know where uh, where I can find that on the internet, if it was published in an online publication somewhere, and I can throw that up on the screen so that there's some kind of video for everybody to watch so that they don't have to just listen and look at my face reacting to your poem. It would be nice if they could see the text of the poem. So when you call in using that number, 818 818- Eight five zero seven seven two seven. Read a poem that's on the internet and let me know where it is. I'll look it up really quick and pull it up on screen so that everybody can read along. And that'll be a lot of fun. And that'll be a way to make the open mic much more accessible, I think, because um, then you don't have to use Skype and know how to use that kind of technology or have the app and all that. You can just use your regular phone. So that'll be a lot of fun. Now this is the pre-show before we get started, just to make sure everything's working and. Um, we like to do a few poems on the pre-show. I'm also going to start doing some open mics on the pre-show, I think. But for now, I thought today we would do some of my favorite poems from our slam issue. I don't know why. I was just in the mood. So um, let's see. Let's pull that up. And uh, we're going to read. This is The Branches Are Full and These Orchards Are Heavy by Anis Mojgani. And um, Anis Mojgani is a two-time National Slam Poetry Champion. He's also winner of the International World Cup Poetry Slam. He's the author of five books, all from Right Bloody Publishing. Uh, Most recently, I think, Songs from Under the River. Um, And The Feather Room is a book I have here on my bookshelf. It's a really great book. But here's Anis Mojgani reading The Branches Are Full and These Orchards Heavy. Hope you enjoy. It's one of my favorite slam poems. Gentlemen. Have you forgotten your God? He weeps out loud, waiting for our dreams to grow like ears, while you are making ghosts out of people, making ghosts from your Torah, your Quran, your Bibles. 
We have shaved our books down, swallowed them so that the words of God might flow through us, but the pages just sit in our belly, speaking to us in dull murmurs as we try to sleep. We wake, wonder what to do, make me understand. We wish to become one with him. We hear these voices inside and think we know what they say. This, this is the word of God. He speaks to me. I hear this. I heard this correctly. So we rise and try to translate this word with the work, with the heart. We search through thighs, the blanket, the leg, the needle twist, fucking the fuck you curse of the moon to find our Lord and listen more proper like. But our ears are too small for our hearts to understand the humming of these sentences inside of us. We are trying to decipher the bang-buck braille of your silent throat, Lord. But the voices, they grow and grow just as fuzzy. So we stand and go to the kitchen and pick up knives to cut these voices out from inside. We stab ourselves. I must hear you. We stab, cutting the flap of our skins. The words twist on the floor of our homes, mixing their sounds with our blood. They drown, but it does not stop. I must hear you. We hear the same songs in the stomachs of others. So we grab more knives to cut those out, but there are more and more stomachs. We need bigger knives. We need soldiers, tanks, and missiles, but we still cannot make out the words. We We need dead mothers, children raped from searching. The hospitals are full and overflowing from us trying to cut our God from our gut. With the blade, the pipe, the fingernail twist of the drug, pushed and poked through the arm to the belly to throw him up. And in the bang of the scream, we find our Savior. The shell in the chamber is a quiet plea to a distant God asking for us to be remembered by him. Through the tire tread, through the smoke of the tank, through the crunch of the skulls, through the babes we bury beneath us. We emptied them out to see if a Scrap of our Lord still lingered somewhere inside there. We clutched throats, pistols, and palms in the same two-handed clasp of prayer. Staring into the mirror, we see crypts, fondling the marble of our hearts like they were mausoleums. We are ghosts, hungry for something bigger than what our mouths are kissing. Let me see you. Let me see you, Lord. I have balanced in the middle of the question, black as my eye, beaten by your hymn, I am holding still. So go ahead, you gentle men of God, tender sinners. Take your rifles, raise to my gut and fire on. Hear the song more clearly. It does not sing what you wish it did. It is too big for us to see a letter of it. So do not even try. Cut him from me. I wish to drape his face with my kisses and finally sleep softly. So that was Anish Mojgani from Rad Number 27. That was our tribute to Slam, which included a CD. So if you order the issue, which is still available, we have a couple hundred copies left. Uh, that comes with a CD, which you can listen along to uh, all of that. But that was Anish Mojgani. The branches are full and these orchards are heavy. Um, and Anish's website, uh, let me see, where did it go? It's thepianofarm.com, thepianofarm.com. So check out more of Anish's work there. Uh, we have seven minutes until we call up um, Nicole. So let's do another, uh, this is another open mic. The first time we're going to do an open mic on the pre-show. Um, and this is actually, um, Ron Kirchie sent this in, but it's a poem that we uh, already published at Rattle. Um, and uh, this is Dear Citizen by Ron Kirchie. And he sent this in, uh, if you go to rattle.com slash rattlecast, you can find out how to submit poems uh, for the pre-recorded open mic, 
Uh, all you do is use Submittable and send an MP3 and the text of the poem so I can put it on screen. Hopefully a poem that's already been published so we can sort of celebrate the publication because that's what this is all about. We're hanging out enjoying good poems. And um, here's Ron Kirchy reading Dear Citizen. He'll introduce it a little bit. This is Ron Kirchy. I'm calling from my house in South Pasadena. I'm going to read a poem from a new book of mine from Pitt Press, University of Pittsburgh Press, called Yellow Moving Van. That's the name of uh, the book. The name of the poem is Dear Citizen. And I'm going to read it in a way that makes it sound like exactly what it is. It's a letter to someone from an anonymous government official. Here's the poem. Dear citizen, that letter you received last Tuesday, the one with the official seal, was not meant for you. We hope you have not read it. We know you like to put things off. Perhaps the letter is lying on that yet-to-be-paid-for coffee table with the coupons and the bills. We hope so. The letter was meant for another citizen who resembles you in many ways, but who is not you, only you are you. Destroy that letter now. You do not have to drive to the fortress. A note will do. No one will come to your house with a taser. No one will hurt Sasha, who is a good dog. We trust you. If you have read the letter, well, it disturbs us that you know more than you should. A little knowledge really is a dangerous thing. Any knowledge, really. You have been a good citizen up until now. The tapes show that. Do you know how to forget? Let's try that first, before the other. Simply put the matter out of your mind. Continue leaving for work at 7.50 every morning and walking Sasha in the evening after dinner and before the curfew. Once you're sure that you have forgotten Write and tell us. We know how difficult it can be remembering to reassure us that you don't remember. It's a fine line, isn't it? But it can be done. Others have. And most are living happy and productive lives. So that was Ron Kirchy reading his poem, Dear Citizen. And uh, don't worry, most are living happy and productive lives. Uh, Ron Kirchy, uh, in his note, he wrote, he's the current poet laureate of South Pasadena. But before you get too excited, he ran unopposed, and he did win in a landslide. So Ron Kirchy uh, is going to be on the Rattlecast at some point. I have uh, asked Pitt Press to send me that book so we could have him on. Um, maybe sometime in February or March we'll have him on uh, with that book, Yellow Moving Van. But you can find more of Ron Kirchy's work at uh, ronkirchy.com, and that's R-O-N. K-O-E-R-T-G-E dot com. Ron Kirchy. It's a hard word to say, so a hard word to spell. Let's see. We have three minutes until we're going to call up Nicole. So um, maybe I should just say uh, for right now, Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 
1995. Issue number 66 is our newest one, which just came out. I haven't seen a copy yet, but on Twitter, I see that some people have uh, received some copies. And uh, every issue comes with a chapbook. Uh, Nicole Browns was one of them, to, to those who were our first gods, came out last winter. This uh, winter's chapbook is The Last Mastodon by Christina Olsen, which is a, a really great book, especially I love um, I love paleontology. I just happen to. And uh, I've always been obsessed with the younger Dryas, of all things. And um, it's such a strange thing that happened 12,900 years ago and wiped out all the mastodons somehow. And uh, this is a book that uh, Christina Olsen wrote um, while, while interning, I guess you'd say, or... or being the writer in residence at the Western Humanities Science Center in Hemet, California. Uh, so, so if you're a subscriber, check that out. That's coming your way very soon. Um, I should also say, if you enjoy this podcast, this Rattlecast, um, make sure to click the like button and subscribe. I hope we get up to a thousand subscribers soon because that unlocks a lot of. It sort of makes us an official channel, so it'll lock uh, unlock a lot of. Um, Features for, I think we'll be able to have live captioning, which will be really nice because um, people who have to watch on, you know, using closed captioning can't do that live. They have to wait until tomorrow, basically, to watch the show. And um, so it'll be really nice. So if you're watching now and if you're new, we have a lot of uh, new new watchers, I think, because uh, Nicole Brown is a popular poet. So make sure you click subscribe and tell your friends because, uh, you know, every Tuesday night we hang out and enjoy poetry together. And um, it really helps a lot the more subscribers we have or the more likes we have because that is the currency of uh, the current age, I guess you'd say, is is eyeballs and viewers. And uh, we never ask for donations, but we do ask that you share and click the like button and all that stuff. So thanks so much for doing that. We have Joel Showalter just subscribed. Thanks so much, Joe Showalter. Apparently I have pop-up notifications on that will let me know. Okay, so it's uh, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Pacific. That means it's time to call up Nicole Brown. So I'm going to throw up some bumper music in the splash screen, and uh, I'll call Nicole Brown and be right back. Now, this bumper music is brought to you by the Wrightwood Blues Society, and this is uh, Brother Man by the Greg Jones Band. So hope you enjoy this, and I'll be right back with Nicole Brown. So we have Nicole Brown on the line. Nicole Brown is um, winner of the 2018 Rattle Poetry Prize for her uh, chapbook. I mean, Rattle Chapbook Prize, I should say, for to those who are our first gods. Um, I first became familiar with Nicole's work uh, way back in 2008, I think, when Sister came out, and I read that book, and it was just amazing. And I remember I went to the AWP conference, and it was my one of my first times being there. And Nicole Brown was signing books. And I loved her book, and I was like, wow, there's a real author. Um, she's also the author of uh, Fanny Says. Both are sort of novels in verse or biographies in, in verse. Um, and her, she sort of made a turn, so we'll talk about that a little bit, into 
um, the content of her newest book, uh, two chapbooks, uh, to those who were our first gods, and um, the one that's forthcoming soon. But uh, let me pull her in, and you can all say hi to Nicole Brown. Hi, Nicole. Hello. Hi. How <laughs> I'm are good. You? How are you? Good, good. This is an interesting Jetson-like experience. It really, it really yeah. is. And, um, <laughs> and and we have a, a live open mic, which is really fun, too. Um, I try to yeah, try I'm to make it that. so everybody can see you. Uh, here we go. Okay. Um, so, so Nicole, you're calling from North Carolina, right? You're just home. Uh, one of the things that you do is you tr- you tour more than most poets that I know. Um, you're seems like you're always on the road, and you just got back. So, um, yeah. so, so, what's it like yeah. to tour as a poet? Same. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so my, my wife and I, um, about three and a half years ago, decided to leave our full-time uh, teaching positions. I was down at the University of Arkansas in Little Rock. And um, we just, we really, you know, we thought hard about it and decided, you know, maybe how we want to live our lives. And we chose Asheville as the place we wanted to be. And we thought, you know what, when we're home... Let's give ourselves over to our writing, our research, um, our poems. Um, but then, of course, you know, we have to also stitch together a living, so we're on the road a lot. And this year was a big one. Um, we spent about nine months on the mm-hmm. road uh, cumulatively. So <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a lot of hummus and spark popcorn, <laughs> let's just put it that way. Oh, I bet, yeah. So, and you're going to be at the uh, Wrightwood Literary Festival, which um, – is here where I am yes. in Wrightwood next fall um, with Jessica. So it's going to be a great, a great weekend here. Uh, everybody put on your calendars. Yeah. I think it's September 25th or something. But uh, the tours continue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> next year's not as mm-hmm. full, but yeah, there's there's a lot, there's a lot coming up. Um, do you want to start out by reading a poem or two? Sure, sure, I can do that. Um, so I'll I'll start out by reading from the chat book and as you can see from the tour my reading copy here has literally fallen <laughs> apart they were very it was very sturdily made Tim, well you know um but it, it finally gave up on me um yeah so and and really uh what you need to know of course is you know i, I you mentioned sisters thank you for what you said about um you know awp and, and whatnot um but but i've always written about mm-hmm. family um, you know, my, my first book, um, was autobiographical. It was a collection of letters that I wrote to my younger sister. And then my, my second book was about my grandmother. And so I was always sort of tracing the matrilineal line, always writing about, um, Kentucky. And then when, when Jessica and I moved here, when we made the change to move here, um, I had all this time and I decided to fill it with research and I don't know if you can see this ridiculous stack of um, books kind of uh, swamping my office here but they're all books on um, on animals and um, it's something that I've, I've wanted to learn about for a really long time and uh, of course that meant that I could watch those uh, those on YouTube over and over with the panda sneezing and the, the baby goats wearing the pajamas and uh, call that. Um, but of course, you know, our, our world um, is in a lot of trouble right now. And um, the animals in particular, I feel, are in trouble in the way that I was once in trouble as, as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, 
um, meaning that 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 idea of being uh, voiceless and being at the the mercy of others and and you thought you know what like I once wrote my way out of that can I now help help those those other those non-human animals as well and I know that's that's futile um but that's not going to stop me from from trying so um I'll start with a prayer and and one of the things that this project has done is I have written a number of of prayers um and I think that is that idea of like that this there is little that can be done sometimes, but then just to sort of reach um, out. So um, this is um, a prayer to talk to animals. Lord, I ain't asking to be the beast master Jim ripped in a jungle loincloth or a Dr. Doolittle or even the expensive vet down the street, that stethoscoped redhead, her diamond ring big as a Cracker Jack toy. All I want is for you to help me flip off this light box in its scroll of dread. To rip a tiny tear between this world and that. A slit in the veil, Lord. One of those old-fashioned peeping keyholes through which I can press my dumb lips and speak. If you will, Lord, make me the teeth hot in the mouth of a raccoon scraping the junk I scraped from last night's plates. Make me the blue eye of that young crow cocked to me, too selfish to even look up from the flash of my damn phone. Oh, forgive me, Lord, how human I've become, busy clicking what I like, busy pushing my cuticles back and back to expose all ten pale, useless moons. Would you let me tell your creatures how sorry I am? Let them know exactly what we've done. Am I not an animal too? If so, Lord, make me one again. Give me back my dirty claws and blood-warm horns, Braid back those long frayed strands of every nerve tingling with all I thought I had to do today. Fork my tongue, Lord. There is a sorrow on the air I taste but cannot name. I want to open my mouth and know the exact flavor of what's to come. I want to open my mind a language that calls all language home. So that was a prayer to talk to animals. And um, you, you sort of asked, answered really beautifully already the question I was going to ask, which was the, about that leap between um, the subject matter of the first two books and these two most recent chat books. But um, mm-hmm. how did you sort of, what made you want to make that change? Was there some kind of impetus that got you into, I, th- I know you volunteer at a lot of um, rescue organizations or, or animal um, mm-hmm. conservancies, or I don't know what you call them, but um, how how did that come to yeah. come to happen? Well, the the volunteer work sort of came after I started the research. So I was I was really grateful that my uh, my dear wife did not divorce me when all uh, seventy five books of the first shiftment and seventy five books came to the house that I started reading. But um, I I also you know started uh, volunteering, so I. Uh, 
am learning slowly uh, wildlife rehab work. So I work in a wild or I volunteer out there and they tend to uh, orphan and injured wildlife. Um, I also spend as much time I can in a place called Animal Haven that's here in Asheville. And it's a, a farm sanctuary, which it basically gives a, uh, a home to um, uh, domestics. We have, you know, goats and sheep and pigs and all kinds of wonderful petable things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also spend some time out at uh, the Nature Center, sort of um, Asheville's answer to a zoo and a, uh, a horse sanctuary called Heart of Horse Sense. And each of those places has really taught me um, something. And, and I think that, uh, you know, like a lot of work like that, that I, I, I went in thinking that I um, was going to help the animals. And, of course, they ended up helping me. Mm-hmm. Um, they primarily, um, they brought me back to my body which was really important, not just the aspect of, of manual labor that I had to do, but then also just being with them and watching how they move through the world and, and, and how um, they, they sense the world and, and they're, they're fully present in a way that I think we are not, especially now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in that, in that switch, to get back to your original question, you know, I think just... It, it, it had to do, I think, well, it's, 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 the, it's the trouble we're in, you know. Um, I was talking to my mom not that long ago. I talked to my mama almost every day, and uh, she called me. She's still in Kentucky, and um, this was the beginning of October, and she said, it's, you wouldn't believe it, but, but it's 100 degrees outside today. And I said, yeah, you know, I know that's it's just crazy. And she said, but baby, you don't understand. Like, I was, I was sitting on my back porch like I do every morning, and I didn't hear anything. And I said, well, well what do you mean? And she said, I've sat out there for years every morning having my coffee, and I always heard birds. And she said, and this morning, I heard nothing. You mm-hmm. know, and I think it's that, that silent spring that Rachel Carson was – has been worn, you know, has worn us about since, since I was born, mm-hmm. since I was a kid. And I think that, you know, even, even our sparrows are in danger, even our insects are in danger, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and, uh, I can't stop thinking about it. And, and, uh, in terms of the climate crisis, uh, nothing is as pressing to me as that right now. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it's so pervasive too. It's not just climate um, but you know, I was, I just yeah. saw, um, you know, cats, you know, outdoor domestic cats kill 3 billion birds a year and have, have been responsible for the extinction of 33 different species of birds. Um, uh, so bring your yeah. cats inside people. Um, and you're going to be coming to the Wrightwood Literary yeah. Festival. Um, one of the things we do, there's a 200 year old Jeffrey pine that's full of uh, woodpecker holes where, you know, they, they would store their acorns huh. for the year. And they don't store them there anymore. And we have no idea why. But um, there are no woodpeckers in mm. that tree anymore. So uh, you'll see that in, in about a yeah. year. But but it really is. The, I think back to that. There's that Donald Justice poem. I think it's just called Essay. But this is the time of the death of the animals. And that's the time that we're living in. So um, it is. It's hard to. Um, it's, a, it's a hard topic to think about because it's, uh, it's really rough. And it's something that we're doing. On uh, on multi- yeah. multiple levels, many many metal levels, ocean trawling and pesticides and all sorts of things. Um, yeah, 
Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's the kind of thing I think that as a poet, um, you feel besieged by despair. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I certainly felt that very much so after the election. And when you know, like what what I'm doing, is it does it actually have worth in this world? Um, and that's that's a that's a difficult thing to to feel like. Um, you, you aren't mm-hmm. doing anything. Yeah, and yeah. So, it's hard to know what, so, what to do. Yeah. Um, I should just say really quick, uh, yeah. for anybody who's watching now, if you uh, have any questions for Nicole, the chat is open and I'm watching, so I'll pass on any questions uh, for Nicole that you have. But for now, do you want to read a few more poems before we uh, and we'll talk more after a few sure. more poems? Sure, sure. Um, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll read a longer poem um, just to sort of... Uh, come off of the discussion we were having um so you know one of the things that was the most instructive for me um after the election was that uh, i had a shift at animal haven i had to uh put on my muck boots and go into the barn and uh help take care of the animals um, that day and it was so instructive for me um to see uh how fully present those beings were and then also that literally, despite everything that was going on, I literally had work to do. Like I could lift a bale of hay and put it in its place and feed something that was hungry. And at the same time, um, like a lot of people, I started uh, reading a book called Hope in the Dark, uh, which is by Rebecca Solnit. And what's so interesting is that Rebecca um, is an historian, of course, and she traces history and she looks at the work that many activists have done um, to see how long it literally took the seeds they planted to sort of grow the tree that they wanted to sit under and of course a lot of times um, those people died before um, what they wanted to happen in the world came to fruition and that was really important to me and that um, Rebecca talks uh, about hope um, as act as a verb, not as a feeling. And I had never really thought of it that way. So I wrote this, this longer poem here. Um, it's called Against Despair, The Kid Goat. And it's dedicated to uh, Trina and Barb, who are the, the two women who, who run Animal Haven here in Asheville. So Against Despair. Reader, Meet the two women who sunk everything they had into taking in broken animals. The gimpy and oozing critters, the ugly, lopsided, tailless pets, urine-soaked and drooling, zested with fleas, the matted and discarded scrap heaps left growling and bucking, pissing on everything. The good riddance left roped to a chain-link fence. No. I take that back. Instead, I want you to be those two. I want you crazy enough to try to fix those beasts, to feed and brush and bathe and dip and sweet milk them whole. I want you to try, to always try, despite the odds, just as you coax the docile, fat, blind pig up on legs that eventually broke from his own inbred weight just spritz the mites off a mangy hen that would be limp in the claws of a hawk, 
later that same day. On the hill, a stubborn but sometimes gentle sheep grows cold under a blue tarp, and in your truck is a towel across the back seat for your favorite but neurotic-as-hell dog. How you rushed her to the vet only to see her put down. No, let me make this real. Reader, I want you tired. Every joint in your body stiff and worn. I want you to finally strip off your filthy clothes. Then I want you jolted from sleep by a cry that in your dream sounds like an infant wailing and now awake sounds just the damn same. Go. Find that kid goat bleeding in the grainy dark. He's no bigger than a lap dog, and on his fist-sized head are the buds of his horns, tiny like two popcorn pieces of warm bone, two bright spots, the only thing you can see. Flip on the switch. Now you know. With bare hands, I want you to clear the froth from his lolling tongue. I want you to grab a rag, a sponge, the corner of your shirt, anything you can find to sop up the liquid. So much of it you can't tell what's what, be it mucus or bile or vomit or blood, as if every water has been brought up for this giving in, as if his body is already a river and rushing away. Now, use your arms. It takes strength to steady the convulsing of even a thing this young. And then, once his gaze goes back to white, you know what to do. You know your job. Push together the furred slits of his lids, close the extinguished horizons of his eyes. Don't play stupid. You knew this was coming. You've seen it enough times. You're not dumb, just desperate to try to save this little meat goat the farmer dumped at your door, too septic and riddled with worms to even be killed to eat. Now, get on your knees. Mop it up. As you wring out the rags, don't push away what you know of the sun. Let yourself admit the light, how it made his ears pink and transparent, revealed the secret veins of leaves, how you adored it when they periscoped to your voice and he looked up to give you the small meditations of fresh milk and hay in his mouth. Go on. Get sentimental if you have to. Have a good cry. No one is here. And besides, who would care? Because you try, don't you? You always try, but always that impossible riddle, always the word riddled with the word worms as if each whip-like body was curled into a question, a wriggling puzzle, a mob infestation of questions, parasites that love a home so hard they turned that kid goat anemic fevering, stuttering with a murmuring heart, shitting out a writhing pile of larvae and eggs. Little sips, little hooks, little burrows. This was how, little by little, that little goat finally collapsed 
arched his throat back as if to be slit, jerked his legs up into the nothing like the fetus he was just two months before. But here is the point. Do not ever let yourself think it didn't matter. It matters then as it matters now, because until this morning rose dull on the horizon with this useless, good-for-nothing goat now dead on your floor, regardless, in spite of, no matter, you fed a beast worthless, a real lost cause not unlike this whole stubborn, beautiful, fucked-up planet about to seize and drown in its own melt. There really wasn't a thing you could do but admit it. If you knew, if you really could say he would not have died last night but would certainly die tomorrow, you force yourself out of bed and do what it is you do. You'd count his pills, warm his formula over the stove, rake out his soiled pen, and with arms wide you'd bring him a fresh bale of hay. Yes, that's right. Now say his silly goat name because, yes, every living thing deserves a name. And you called him Peanut, a playful way to say he was a flake of the size he should have been so sick he did not jump or play as he should, but leaned his tiny face exhausted into your leg. Now bend to stroke his scrawny goat neck. Say, good boy. Peanut, we got you now. Now, now, there, everything's gonna be just fine. You know it, but no matter. Hope, you know by now, is not a thing you feel, but something you do. And this is your job. It's what you do, it's what needs to be done. Um, thank you. Uh, thanks so much, Nicole. Um, so, uh, just beautiful, beautiful poems. And I, it's, it's sort of, um, reminds me of something I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is the way animals are us, you know, like our, the way we think about the world is sort of overwritten, um, of the way that animals think of the world. Do you know, like, like we have the same brains in the same way and the yeah. same relating to the world and then we over we wrote over the top of that to become humans and um so it's sort of like a every animal is like a part of ourselves or something and that's what i loved about this book the first time i read it uh, i still remember uh laying on that couch be behind me uh reading the uh, chapbook submissions having no idea it was you uh who who submitted that manuscript but uh, just being blown away at that connection between mm. between us and and sort of the former us or something like that um but yes thanks so, yeah thanks so much for sharing sharing that yeah yeah well and i appreciate that you say that too because you know i think that this whole division we have um between what is and is not nature is quite false mm -hmm. you know and um what is and is not human is 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 quite false um you know because it we are made of the same matter mm -hmm. and you know come from the same force and and have evolved um out of and from one another yeah um yeah. and i i think the more that i learn the more evident that is mm -hmm. you know um 
and you know, just a few years ago, of course, people are just you know arguing about the the sentience or emotional intelligence of animals. But I think that more and more we're really beginning to understand um, how little division there is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's true. I feel like um, you know, you think back to, you know, how naive people were about you know how many biases and how many terrible opinions people had and i feel like the one is the way we treat animals that that will look back 50 years from now and say what the hell were we thinking yeah. you know in 2019 when we still had factory farms and um you know everything yes. that we have yeah i hope so yeah well, well <laughs> i hope so and yeah and i hope there are plenty of animals left mm-hmm. um to 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 love, yeah. Um, when, 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 and if that does happen, um, mm-hmm. and if if I have any say in it, I, I hope that that, um, I hope absolutely that happens someday. Yeah, yeah. I have a deep hope that we're um, sort of at the pinnacle of this, and I think maybe it's yeah. true. I mean, the the human population, if you look at the demographic projections, will peak around twenty fifty. And, um, you know, and as people become more aware and more connected to the world, you know, they realize what we're doing more. And I think this might be like literally the worst time for the planet to be alive, but that means it can only get better. I hope anyway. Yeah. I like to think that. I had a friend of mine. Yeah. A friend of mine said to me that, um, she felt very sorry for people living 50 years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had great hope for people living 500 years from now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's so, um, I think the difficulty of course with the, the climate crisis of course is how ugly we get when we're hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think when the, the, the full, um, devastation kind of hits us, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think that we'll do just about anything to survive Mm -hmm. well well i hope it doesn't doesn't come to that because that will definitely Mm -hmm. not be a good time yeah yeah so uh to to change the subject a little bit let's um i'm always wondering about where people came into poetry do you remember the first poem that you wrote that meant something you know i have one poem where um it wasn't until college but one poem i Hmm. wrote uh, in james longenbach's class i was a, a science uh molecular biology major at the time and just taking it as an elective. And I wrote a poem that surprised me. Um, and mm. it was the first time I realized that could happen. And that's sort of what made me fell in love with poetry. Do you have any sort of moment like that where you realized that poetry was a, a door into something different? Was there, was there anything like that that happened to you? Yeah. I mean, I think that my first connections with poetry happened when I was about 15 and, uh, you know, I was this, this, uh, you know, this roughneck kid in Kentucky. We didn't have books in the house. Um, and we had the Bible, you know, Cosmo magazine. Um, and, uh, I, I have no idea how I got in, but I was invited to governor's school for the arts, um, the summer of my, uh, 15th year, right. At, you know, as a sophomore. And, um, I just have a, a, some really distinct memories that summer where I thought, Oh wait, this is what poetry can do. And this is how, uh, um, you know, and of course we were, you know, rooftops reading, you know, Rilke and, um, you know, just, yeah, having those, 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 those wild moments with language that were so important at that time in my life when I thought that things could be different for me that I could sort of shape a different kind of life and, and do that with, 
with language. Um, so th- those are those are definitely my memories. And it's funny because some of the poems that I started even then became some of the first poems um, that made their way into Sister, which, you know, uh, my first book. But that, of course, I was many years later. Um, but I, I uh, it took me a long time to, to really um, shape those poems, mm-hmm. you know to get them to where they needed to be. I'm very slow. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you've written uh, four, you know, two books and a chat book. I think our books came out the same year. That's why I was at that ABDP because my book came out and I've written nothing and you've written two mm. full books and a chat book since then. So, or two chat books and a book since then. But, so uh, yeah. I wouldn't call that slow. But I think that's pretty good. Done- yeah, you, you haven't done anything at all. <laughs> no, I've done I've done nothing at all. Now. I'm just sitting in in my uh, couch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to read a few a few more poems? Sure, sure. Um, which direction should I go? Actually, let me let me switch up a little bit. Um, I want to make a little plug for this amazing anthology. Um, it just came out, so it's a literary field guide to Southern Appalachia, um, and this was co-edited by uh, Rose McClarney and uh, Laura Gray Street, and it literally just came out, and it, it's very interesting for me in that what they did is they um, they had L.L. Gaddy, who is a uh, the natural history editor, um, wrote all this information about the different plant and animal species here in the mountains, and then they paired those descriptions with poems. And then they also brought in uh, visual artists to illustrate. And I got the um, Eastern Wood Rat. So um, you can see my little Eastern Wood Rat that they that they drew for me, um, mm-hmm. which um, uh, an amazing poet um, named Landon drew that drew that for me. But um, it, it was an important moment for me in that um, when. I first started this project, I really thought that I needed to write about the charismatic species, the, the animals that everyone uh, loves, um, the, the giraffes and the elephants and the rhinos, the pandas, um, those animals that are in peril, but they're also, um, they're adorable, right? And and they're, they're so majestic. And what I didn't quite realize um, when I was asked to write about the eastern wood rat was that um, there too was an animal that was in peril, but not as well loved. And then also an animal from the place where I am. And I think that as I'm getting deeper and deeper into this project, um, I'm realizing that um, turning to those animals that I can keep an eye on, um, the animals that um, I can I can witness and the ones that I share this place with has become more and more meaningful to me, um, like the hellbender, mm-hmm. um, and of course like the donkey, which is <laughs> the subject of my next chapbook. But um, so this is a self portrait of sorts. Um, it's called self portrait as Eastern Wood Rat. Let us begin with my hair, that frizzy. God-forsaken mess sprung like Velcro from my head at 13. That hormone-fed explosion of caustic fuzz that laughed in the face of any hair goop or oil or spritz we could find at the dollar store. It was a middle school tease, a homeroom 
landing pad for paper planes and spit wads, half-chewed gum and gummy bears, a regular sport at my school with one goal in mind, to make the redneck girl in her high-water jeans cry. My hair, not just unmanageable or unruly or going through a phase, but a real fucking rat's nest. And that's just what my mama said, brush in hand. This, friends, is where the learning begins. Because what I didn't know was that only one rat builds that kind of miracle nest. Only one rat's a genuine pack rat. And that rat's made for the land that gave it a name. You see, I was wrong. I thought a rat was a rat was a rat, but I should have known better than to call similar beings all by one name to hate them all the same. This rat's not the undifferentiated mass gnawing wires of red-lined neighborhoods and subway lines, not those garbage liquors that make the poor feel dirty no matter how much they clean. No, this rat's a real forest nibbler, wearing its growing teeth down on groundfall pecans and mushrooms, caching stems and roots, happy for just what the seasons bring. And here's what I can't let go. Despite the talk of rats taking over what we call our world, this rat, forgive us, is nearly extinct. It's our fault, working hard as we have to pave ourselves over. Our best tracks, strip mined or strip mauled, our mountain tops, mountain tops literally removed for a vein of coal. Because like a mistreated girl whoring in the back of her daddy's Chevy, it's as if we want to throw away what we were given because we were once made to feel it wasn't worth a damn anyway. This might be about shame. Like how I worked so hard to scrub my tongue of the talk that, like me, came up from this mud. Like how I once said an old man stashing a decade's worth of margarine tubs and dirty magazines wasn't a hoarder, but a downright ornery cuss, a pack rat with his trailer park Tupperware and titty magazines. Or how when I told Mama what happened at school, she put down the brush and quit her fuss and said, Baby, they're pea green with envy is all. Don't you give a rat's ass. What I mean to say is I grew up and figured how to shellac my hair into something nearly presentable, to trick it into looking like something it's not. But still, when I look in the mirror, it's still that little girl from Kentucky staring back. No, what I mean is there's this kind of rat who works on a single nest all its life and lives in that one place till it dies just as I can't seem to quit and leave this place behind no matter how far away I move. No, that's not quite right. Let me say this plain. What I mean is I once thought myself white trash, that rat of all rats. But now I know I was only listening to the trash I was told. Because a close look at the eastern wood rat reveals a creature maybe messy and more than a little hungry, but meant to be here and still holding on. 
gathering sticks and branches, broken glass and dried shit, crow feathers and rusted cans, wood screws and napkins and candy wrappers, forgotten flannels and cassettes, Barbie limbs and lost gloves, shreds of anything, just anything it can find to survive, all things sacred and profane to keep safe and warm in a place it can call home. Thanks, Nicole. That was uh, that was uh, self-portraited as an eastern wood rat. And if you want to find that, <laughs> uh, you can find it in a literary field guide to Southern Appalachia at the uh, southernhumanitiesreview.com. So it's a pretty simple yes. thing to uh, Google. Um, I have to say, um, my daughter went on a field trip uh, to, the, to the local science center. And um, ever since mm-hmm. then, she said her favorite smell in the entire world is the smell of the uh, western pack rat, which I assume is related to the <laughs> to the eastern wood rat. But if you ever get a chance to smell a uh, a pack rat or a wood rat's den, um, there's this kind of like musty, piney kind of scent that, that it's my, my daughter's, who's a nine, it's her favorite scent in the world. So uh, anytime I hear the pack rat, I think of that. Like, don't think of the, the nest as... Um, you know, poorly scented. You yeah. might, you should have that like in your car as one of those little, little, uh, set, set things hanging <laughs> from your rear view mirror. Cause it's, it's a good smell. I have to say. Awesome. Well, they're very, they're very tidy. They actually go to the bathroom separate from their living quarters. Mm-hmm. Unlike, unlike a lot of rodents, yeah, but yeah. you are obviously doing a really good job as a father. Cause she sounds like an amazing. Oh, she's, she's girl. a cool kid, but this is a school. Like we didn't, you know, we went there later just cause she wanted to show us all the stuff, but this is just a regular school field trip. Um, but do 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 no, smell but that. No, the fact that she like <laughs> noticed that—that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, she's she's a cool kid. Um, yeah, so you want you yeah. want to keep going with uh, some other poems? We have uh, what like five minutes left or so. It, although it's really loose, so we can do whatever we want. Sure, sure, sure. I'll just read a I'll read a shorter one, and I think maybe since we've just done a, a self portrait, maybe I'll do one more self portrait. And it was interesting because you were the one that talked me into including this in the book. Oh, really? I don't um, remember that, but I believe you. <laughs> the, uh, the, the self portrait as a land snail. Mm-hmm. You wanted to take that out? Page 20. Yeah, I wanted to take it out. And you're like, no, 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 you leave that. Oh, out. really? Yeah. yeah. I have no <laughs> recollection. I, 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 I don't know stuff. I just do stuff. I, I learned to trust the former self that I used to be because I figure I used to make decisions. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I wanted to take it out because at the time I really wanted to get anything about me out of the way because I thought, okay, it just needs to be all about the animals. And um, what I kept finding was that I think a lot of times people need story, they need avatar um, for um, a lot of these these things to come through. And uh, but you know, for 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 whatever reason, the the self portrait as Lansdale actually came. I don't know if you can see here. So from, see on the, it's so dark in here. Um, So all of these books here from albatross to ostrich to horse to sparrow, blah, blah, blah. There there are these animal series books by um, a press called Reaction out of the UK. And they're these lovely little editions. um, And I'll show them off so you guys could just run out and buy them. And they have full color illustrations in each one. This is the camel, of course. And um, one of my favorite reads was the snail. And and I had put it off and put it off thinking like, how interesting could it possibly be? And 
sure enough, when I sat down to read the snail book, I was in a coffee shop and like literally lost my shit because it was so fascinating. And I was bothering everyone next to me and be like, what did you do? Did you know this? Um, so anyhow, that's a, that's a long intro. Uh, this is a self-portrait as land snail. Don't get me. I'm a modest girl. Couldn't even strip off at one of those nudie hot springs out west. The whole place a flotsam of much-nursed areolas and buoyant scrotums while I sat prim as Gidget, legs crossed and awkwardly smiling on the shore. It's just that the snail is on to something. Neither boy nor girl but both. The critter is nearly mythic, a true hermaphrodite that all alone will go to its own kind of cryobank and baste itself, make a new batch of not-so-bouncies and thin, flea-sized shells. But no, that's not me. That seems lonely. Better, with another intersex other, it will take aim, flex back its bow, shoot a dart, then wait to be impaled in return. I couldn't make this shit up if I tried. This is no metaphor, but scientific fact. A telum of amoris, literally a weapon of love. A James Bond-worthy arrow equipped with four blades spiked with all the dirty talk a snail could want. Cupid's got nothing on this mollusk congress, and because you know how snails go, the foreplay is slow. 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 My kind of sex. Going on and on until the hussy who first received that dart has enough, then rises to fire back. Now, knowing this, I can say I didn't come out all those years ago, whatever that means. No, when I finally made a home for my body in the bed of another woman, I simply became a land snail. Tired of being a leaking receptacle for a man's desire, I needed to feel an equal's push against my own a willingness to be wounded and to wound receiving and giving at the same time. Plainly said, I needed the kind of love that finally let me take my time. I needed to fire an arrow of my own. Thanks so much, Nicole. Um, let's do, uh, we have two questions that came in that are kind of the same. Oh, great. So let's, uh, let, let's, let's hear them both and you can answer. Um, so, so Joel Showalter says, uh, would you be willing to talk about your process at all? I'm always curious to hear about how poems arrive in our minds or lives or what have you. And then Sheila Dugan says, I'd love to hear about the process of your writing your chapbooks. Uh, how did it differ oh. from writing your first two books and what can be accomplished in the chapbook form compared to a longer book of poetry? So maybe as I was looking out of the corner of my eye, they seem like the same question, but they're actually really different, the chapbook and the individual mm -hmm. poem. But uh, but what's your process mm -hmm. like? That's always a good question because yeah. uh, most people watching are poets themselves. So Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, that um, all of – I always end up with project books and I think that's because I have um, an obsession that I'm that I'm dealing with, you know, rather that's – working my way through trauma as I did with my first book or trying to suss out my grandmother's life or now 
my obsession is with the, the, the living world, with biology, um, with, with thinking about animal life. And um, my process always starts with a, uh, here she is, the current one at least, a very, very messy journal. Um, and I don't write poems, uh, at least not when I first um, draft them out. I write blobs. Um, and that's because uh, to sit down and write a poem is 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 far too uh, intimidating. It's far too much pressure. And also, I like to come to the page with uh, a question instead of an answer. And I like to be able just to find what I find, to sort of um, just 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 follow the the language out. And then eventually, of course, what I'll do is I'll go through these journals um, and I'll call. You know, I'll start to pull uh, what needs to be saved and, and then allow them to make their way onto the computer while I'll start to think about, um, you know, polishing the language, making it sharper, and then, uh, you know, finally, last thing, I start to get into line breaks, you know, all of that. that. And, of course, there's a lot that, that goes on in between that. Um, sometimes my process of revision is... Um, either A, trying to figure out what it is that I'm actually trying to to say, not to say that a poem has to rest on meaning, but that um, that I want to get it that I want to get it right. Um, and sometimes that's pulling away from emotion a little bit to allow the poem to have enough distance so that it can find its own uh, center of gravity, which a certain certainly is really important when um, I'm writing about things that I that I care about deeply or that I that I get you know, upset about, right? Because you don't want the, the emotion to, to take over. Um, and I think, you know, to to the other question too, you know, thinking about the, the difference between the two, there there really is no difference other than that, um, like when I sent you uh, to those who were our first gods, um, I thought, okay, here's the first nine poems of this new project, uh, I think that they're hanging together well enough to, to maybe make something. I'm going to, I'm going to send it out and I'm going to try these poems in the world. And, um, I was really grateful that, um, that you guys like them. And, um, eventually, you know, I'd, I'd like to fold those, those poems into a longer, um, uh, uh, collection, a full length collection, which I'm slowly, slowly, um, coming around to, but it's, it's, it's a, it's been a, a, a much more um, arduous process than, than I imagine trying to figure out exactly how to articulate uh, what I want to say mm-hmm. um, about animals. And then uh, the the chapbook that I have coming out now, this is the the Donkey Elegies. Um, and this, I get to see the uh, advanced reading copies of this on Thursday, so I'm super excited about it. But it doesn't come out until January. And um, these poems are a little different Um as you can see on the page, they're more in uh, prose blocks. So I, I I let go of the line breaks in lieu of what I'm hoping might operate on the page as sort of lean um, lyric essays. And basically, the Donkey Elegies is a 25-part uh, um, prose poem slash essay um, about the donkey. And once again, that's one of those animals that really surprised me um, when I started volunteering at the Western North Carolina Nature Center here. Uh, the the first charge I was given were the donkeys. 
<laughs> I was very disappointed at the time because, you know, I wanted to work with the bears or the wolves or, you know, please at least give me the otters. Um, and I got the donkey and I ended up absolutely falling in love with them. And I read the, um, the reaction uh, uh, book about the donkeys and I started to understand the history, the human-animal relationship with that animal and um, just absolutely fell in love with them. And uh, and then found my my spirit animal, so to speak, and so that that was how I ended up writing mm-hmm. that that chat book. And I don't know if the donkey elegies will get folded into anything longer. I think it's it's meant to be a standalone um, thing. And I was I was really uh, grateful that the the fellows at uh, Sibling Rivalry uh, Press down in Arkansas were interested in it, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how it does. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, Nicole. Um, David Cooks has a suggestion, which uh, not more than a question, sure. but um, but, but okay. you're good with your website, I know. And he says, I would love reading a reading list of uh, your sources of animal facts. So that might be a page on your website oh. that might be a good thing to uh, add. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, David, if you if you want to email me, which you can totally find my email address on my website, um, I can send you a list of what I have thus far, because Boy, I've, I've had a lot of fun mm-hmm. with it. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. And I'm um, I'm teaching a class in February too um, on eco poetry uh, through the uh, Twenty Four Pearl Street um, at the Fine Arts Work Center, and that's an online class. Um, so for if, if if there are folks out there who are interested in writing about nature, um, you know, I'm, I'm developing now and would would uh, would love to work with. Awesome. You. So. Well, uh, thanks, Nicole. Um, do you want to finish out with, um, with? I think maybe "Against Despair" might be a good poem to uh, finish on. Do you want to read that? Okay. Well, or do you want to read uh, something else? I've already read that. Oh, you already read "Against Despair." Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I had sent you an order how I was going to read oh. them, but I didn't read "Wild." Oh, that's Sing, the one. But it's a little. Do you want? To, do you want to read one? Yeah. Just one more. We have time for one more. Are you sure it's like a five? Oh, that's poem, good. Though. I think I, it's really fun. We're having a good time. So uh, why don't you do that? Yeah, you except sure? your your video keeps getting bigger and bigger. I'm trying to shrink you down. <laughs> You're like oh. getting more and more bandwidth. I think <laughs> as people go to bed in your town or something. So oh. <laughs> like your head, your head keeps getting very large. Okay, there we go. Um, wow, it's, but it's not <laughs> happening emotionally. Okay. I promise. I promise. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, well, and if there are there people who want to read though, because oh, don't it's want okay, to we up. we can go on forever. Like that's the beauty of this kind of format is that there's no real time limit, and uh, I'm still having fun. So let's let's do one oh. more poem, and, and we'll finish out okay. that way. Sure, sure. Um, I'll read a poem called Wild Okay, Thing. great. So, and that's in the chat book on page thirteen. But the thing you should know, um, speaking of process, is that I I'm an obsessive reviser. Um, and it's literally gotten to the point where I have stapled the revision into the, the chat book. I'm really sorry about that. Uh, but, uh, um, but you'll recognize it, I promise. Wild thing. What I knew then was plastic packages of ramen. Instant. Four for a dollar. Because with four eggs to match, I'd have myself four dinners. Provided I could keep the gas on for the month and get that old stove lit with a match. I also knew what went at the store for a buck. Pinto beans and sliced white, popcorn, carrots, peas, even juice, long as it was orange, concentrated, and frozen in a can. But what I didn't yet know was how that word, 
buck got started. Back with my daddy's daddy's daddy and on back down the line. Back when for their roomy knees, men used panther oil brought all the way up from Florida when panthers still lived down there. Back when men without a dime to their name could pay land taxes in skins and piled as many kills they could on a wagon headed downtown to sell deer for just that, for one dollar, one buck a pop. No, what I knew then were bucks in my tip jar, how never to start the night on empty, but to always put in a few of my own. Otherwise, not a soul would think me worth a dollar and would trash the whole shift with the rattle of pocket change. And though I couldn't have said when deer season hit, no one had to tell me about the weather it brought. How cardboard crammed between wind-rattled panes helped but barely enough. How under every cover I owned, I'd sleep until the floor stung my feet awake with cold. Once I got up and turned over my car, I might just make it to work on time, but not until I got stuck at a red light with a man who split his two fingers apart to make a V for the snake flick of his fat tongue, which meant something about a good time. Before he gunned his truck and gave me the full view of what his flatbed towed. A white tail doe, one eye open, but somehow more milk or smoke or dirty dishwater than I, her tongue off its hinge, flopping obscene with every bump down that road. On my popping speakers, a new version of that same old song. Now you don't need that money when you look like that, do you, honey? And it was then I knew the bullshit made up for the endless litany to hit these woods. All those floods that scrubbed the babes from their burrows, lifting their pink writhing to a flotsam of rot, or else a rage of flames to crowd those same holes with natural-born enemies, snakes huddled alongside a scorched blister of mite, mice, and turtles nearly cooked in their own shells. And everybody saying wild things could care for themselves and always knew what to do, how to seek higher ground and survive. But really, believing that, made me just another fool in this world mistaking the happiness of looking at a pretty wild thing with the happiness that thing feels. Put another way, I was once young and terribly pretty and gripped the wheel white, felt the rip and the vinyl seat rub the part of my leg wall where my skirt didn't cover. I shut off my radio. In the silence was the talk of men I'd heard all my life. The bumper stickers that read, show me your rack or chasing white tail. All the old jokes. That buck not dead, but put down for his dirt nap and itching for a mount. That doe not female, but a slick head, hot and ready for the rut. All those not shot, but taken in peak season and sweet sweet November. Put another way, I was almost on empty, and though no one believed it, 
or cared to see. I was just another animal, and like all animals desired, we would suffer. Thanks so much, Nicole. Beautiful poems. Thank um, you. Uh, great readings and, and great discussion. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, yeah, we did go. We did Thank go uh, fifteen minutes long, which uh, I guess was an accident. But but um, I was about yeah, I, I don't care. <laughs> you know, the the time limit is okay. uh, arbitrary. So uh, we had a good time. Thanks so much for sharing those poems. Um, hope you have a great night, Thank and uh, we'll see more from you soon. Uh, thanks so much. Thank you. And I'm going to stick around if, if people are still reading the open mic. Yeah, yeah. so just go over so to YouTube. Gonna I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang bubble. up with you, then go over to YouTube, and you can watch there. All right, okay. thanks. Yep, All have right. a good night, Nicole. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. That was Nicole Brown um, reading uh, mostly from – let me put this on screen really quick. The, mostly from To Those Who Were Our First Gods, which was the chapbook that came with Rattle Number 62 last winter. Um, and we should mention too, um, beautiful, beautiful cover art. And I think she did the cover art for Nicole's next book too. Uh, this is Tiffany Bozick who does these, um, photorealistic paintings of animals. It's a beautiful, beautiful, this, you know, in all honesty of all the, I think we've done 12 chapbooks so far. I think this is the most beautiful chapbook. It's still available $6. Uh, if you go to rattle.com, um, you can find it there, uh, and that includes shipping. So uh, we try to do everything as cheaply as, as absolutely possible and um, pick up to those who who were our first gods there. Uh, her next book, let me just show this really quick before we move on. Um, her next book, which is coming out in January by Sibling, Sibling Rivalry Press, is uh, here, The Donkey Elegies. And another beautiful painting on the cover. This also, I think, is by Tiffany um, Bozick, if I remember right. And let me read this, because this just sounds like a fascinating book. This is the description. Um, an essay in poems. The Donkey Elegies closely examines an animal's history, tracing how one species hauled the stones that built our civilization, plowed the fields that fed generations, and carted soldiers and weapons from war to war. The poems undo the brunt end of every lewd joke, and unearth the sacred origins of a creature we rarely consider except as melancholy cartoon or dumb, stubborn brute. And these 25 linked pieces, a truth is made real, that we must cherish each living thing, each animal, each human being for all their worth. And um, that is Donkey Elegies by uh, Nicole Brown. And I um, hope you do check that out. You can you can order it right now from Sibling Rivalry Press. That's SiblingRivalryPress.com, I think, although they uh, I'm on the checkout page right now, so I can't confirm. But um, I do believe it's SiblingRivalryPress.com, so get a copy. If you enjoyed any of this, uh, of this chapbook, uh, you'll definitely love The Donkey Elegies by Nicole Brown. So, um, yeah, so, so we're going to move on to the open mic now. And um, let's see. So, so we have two more people pre-recorded for the open mic, and we have three people who have asked to be on the open mic. Uh, oh, four. Frank Frank Pano is here too. So I'm going to do that while I um, read a. We'll do an open mic poem. This one is. This is Christine Hopper from Fargo, North Dakota, reading Recipe for Keys. And um, 
Christine Hopper, um, she says, Receipt for key- Recipe for Keys was written as part of a collection of poems for my dad who taught me how to cook and notice the little things. It appears in the self-published Wiener Dogs and Other Muses. Ages ago, I used to post regularly at www.reddrivelgirl.com. Listening to the Rattlecast poet interviews and open mic has been just great. Well, thanks so much. Um, and she thanks us. So, so thanks so much, Christine. Glad you're enjoying this. And um, here's Christine from Christine Hoper from uh, Fargo, North Dakota, reading Recipe for Keys. Recipe for Keys by Christine Hoper. My father had keys, and he gave some to me. Much better than marbles were skeletons, masters, rusty, broken, mysterious, big, small, fat, bent, tall keys. Nancy drew secret coded by color and notches and foundry and size. Sift fingers through them, close eyes, try to find what they open. Safes, padlocks, drawers, lockets, old boxes and doors. Mix them up on a key ring. Slide them off. Slide them on. Keep them with you. When grown-ups talk grown-up, stare back for as long as you can while hands deep inside pockets make key noises. Yeah, so that was Christine Hoper from Fargo, North Dakota, reading Recipe for Keys. Thanks so much for sharing that with us, Christine. Always a pleasure. Um, And if you want to contribute your poems this way, if you can't watch live, you can always go to rattle.com slash rattlecast and find the little link to submit poems uh, for pre-recorded open mics like this. All you do is record it like on your phone. It's really easy to record a voice memo and uh, upload that to Submittable and and, uh, include the text of the poem so we can show it on screen like that. And we're happy to record your poems because not everybody... Uh, has you know is available at this time of night. Some people work this time. Some people are from all around the world. We've had poets, uh, especially for the pre-recorded open mics. We've had poets from um, you know New Zealand and England and Italy and places like that where it's like three a.m. or or even later right now. So um, if you're at a time or place where you can't do it live, you can always do it pre-recorded. But I should say, let me show let me show this really quick. Um, so this is the phone number if you want to call in. No one's tried it yet, and uh, I'm not sure if it's going to work, but uh, hopefully it will. Uh, if you call 818-850-7727, um, I will, um, if I'm, you know, if you call right this second, I will answer. And if you call while someone else is on, I'll call you back. That's how it's going to work. But just uh, call up 818-850-7727. That's our, that's our new phone number, and that'll always be our number. Uh, and uh, you can call in over the open mic, and hopefully you read a poem that's online somewhere, and you can tell me where. I'll throw it up on screen really quick if I can Google it fast enough. Uh, But now, let's do another Skype caller. Uh, Next up, we'll have... Who is next? Uh, Joe Showalter is next. I'm not sure if I can get... He sent the uh, PDF through Skype. I'm not sure if I can do that, but I will call up Joel... Um, and when I call you, make sure to um, turn off your uh, YouTube stream so it doesn't echo because there's about a 30 second delay. So um, yeah, sh- so shut off your YouTube, and uh, I have you on, jo- um, 
this was who was this oh joe showalter joel showalter so joel where are you calling from i'm calling from columbus ohio awesome well thanks so much for calling in um and uh is this the first time you've watched the rattlecast or have you watched episodes before no, this is my awesome. first time. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Hope you keep keep coming back. This is going to be a... It's every Tuesday night. We have a new guest, and um, it's a lot of fun. So, where did Joe... Let me see. Okay. Uh, yeah, so um, so what do you have for us tonight to read? Um, I've got a poem called uh, The Robin Outside Your Back Okay, as, as you're reading that, I'll try to pull up the PDF. He, he You sent me a um, PDF through chat. And we'll see if that works. I never know what, what's going to work and what's, what's not going to work. Knows, right? But yeah. <laughs> uh, as you read, I'll, I'll try to pull it up. Let's see. Um, okay, no worries. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to. So you, it's just your, it's your beautiful face on the screen. But thanks so much for calling okay. it. <laughs> no worries. All right. Uh, the Robin Outside Your Back Door. The Robin Outside Your Back Door gathers her ruddy skirts to scurry away from you. And as she moves... She casts a stern glance backward from her blackberry eye, then stops to stare knowingly at you as though she's seen the inside of your refrigerator, the leftovers decaying in sealed containers, the mold blooming in the open can of tomatoes, the peppers wizened in the bottom drawer. She eyes your unkempt lawn, the overgrown bushes lousy with mulberries, And when she cocks her head, she hears the leaky toilet valve, which you bought the parts for months ago, and the rattle of your air conditioner, which runs all day while you're not home. She's counted the dust balls under your couch. She knows mail stacked on the stairs, the porn in the closet, the borrowed books that you've never returned. Why, look at you now, slouching with keys in hand, Late for work again, you haven't been to the gym in weeks, and all you can think about is gathering up the discarded straw and paper of this moment to build a nest, a place from which to sing. Yeah, so so that was Joel, Joel Showalter. Um, thanks so much for uh, joining us, Joel. And um, we have two more open mic people lined up. We have uh, Frank Pano and and uh, Charlene Jones, who would like to read. And we have one more pre-recorded poem. And if you'd like to call in, as I was saying when I was on mute, um, no one's tried to call yet, and I'm still hoping someone does just to test this out. So the phone number is 818-850-7727. And you can call in if you catch me at a time like this where I'm in between callers. I'll just answer. If you... uh, if you uh, call in while someone else is reading, I'll just ignore it and then call you back as soon as they're done. That's how we're going to do these call-ins, hopefully. And the other thing about the call-in option, now that we have a phone number, is that if we lose connection with any of the guests, we can just call them up over the phone and have a, an audio-only um, interview and reading still. So, so you know, everybody has a phone, even if the internet connection isn't great. So that'll be great uh, moving forward. But the number, once again, is 818-850-7727. Let's see. We'll call Charlene first. She was the first one to ask. We just go in order of uh, who who asked. So the phone's ringing right now. Hopefully you can't hear it because it is the most annoying ringtone in the history of planet Earth. Um, we'll see if Charlene answers. Charlene, so I have your audio. 
I have your video. Hello, Charlene. Thanks so much for joining in again. Hi, Tim. Delighted. Yeah, it's great to see you again. This is two weeks in a row. So, um, Nicole's work is so fun. Oh, it really is. Yeah, I just love Nicole. I've been a fan of Nicole for a long time. So it was great to, it was great. It was really cool to see her um, winning our chapbook prize. Um, you know, we don't know everything we read is blind, so I have no idea who does what. And uh, it was cool. We'd never published Nicole before, so I was really thrilled when I saw her name because um, I've been a fan of hers for a long time. Uh, so what do you have for us tonight? You're calling from, from outside of Toronto, if I remember right. Um, That's and, correct. Yeah, yeah. So what do you have for us tonight? I have something called Passion Seed. Great, great. At this moment, a box of bright red geraniums spangles color across a windowsill above a narrow cobbled street pink in afternoon light in Perugia. The boxed flowers imperceptibly sway to the rhythmic bumpings of the occupants of the room belonging to the window and its flowers. It is siesta. Marie and Franco sweat in their marriage bed, wet with the long joy of their sweet love. At this moment, a Japanese businesswoman sheds her straight navy skirt and sensible blazer for a traditional black silk kimono on which butterflies and mountains rise and fall to the beat of her chest. The whites of her breasts are overlaid with butterfly wings, her nipples and areoles, the flesh of sunrise on those outer mountains. She, she waits expectantly for her young lover, who greets her with the distinct formality of their true intimacy, taking one of her small hands, delicate in themselves as butterflies, in his, and with the other, opening her kimono. He then matches his hands to the explorations of inner mountain lava, of proboscis and nectar. At this moment, dark jungle heat throbs between her legs, her lower belly, as her first love, tenderly, if awkwardly, persists against the door of her cave. Half laughing, almost embarrassed, he fumbles until he feels her sudden hand lift his willingness to the cup of their love. At this moment, in countless homes, cars, alleys, boats, jungles, beaches, any surface moving or still or standing, sitting, leaning, the weeping of the moon of love, love's waters mingle with the ecstasy of sun's fire. At this very moment, the history of our blue-green planet locks the dimensions of all couples through time in the breath of embrace, the planet's imperative, and now the lingering perfume of our ancestors, their pulse, plates the air with a tangible sense until all are driven to reenact. All. All animals, birds, plants, fish, insects, all seeing and hearing their way to each other in hurly-burly motion until all you know in all directions is the latest clap of orgasm shuddering across a planet so used to ecstasy, so accustomed to climax, she throws it away in every detail free as she continuously comes, tumbling between gravity and centrifugal force, this passion seed in space. Terrific. Well, thank thanks you. so much, Charlene Jones. Uh, another great reading, great poem. Um, and thanks so much for calling in again. I, you have such a great, I got to shrink your, your head again. Everybody's, 
<laughs> exactly. Everybody has a, you know, depending on your connection, I don't know how to adjust this. The thing with a, with a Skype and this whole setup I have with OBS and all that stuff, there's no like tutorial anywhere. So I have no idea what's going to happen until it happens. And I haven't oh. figured out how to fix, like, I want to make the frame the same size, no matter who's calling. And I have no idea how to do it. It doesn't work. You can't be locked. So, um, very good. Yeah. but, but it's, it's amazing. This is like living in 2020 or something, um, that we have this technology. We could do a, we do great reading with open mics from my, uh, from my office, um, in my home, which, you know, my, with my kitchen right behind me. Uh, it's really I wonderful. So, so thanks I so much. It. Yeah. Thanks so much for calling in Charlene and, um, and I hope you call in again soon. I will again. Thank you. Thanks. Good night. Good night. Okay. So we have, um, one more person to call, and that is Frank Pano. I have, let's see. I'm going to make sure everything's on mute so you don't have to hear that. And here comes Frank. Let's see. Your, ah, your voice and your face are on screen. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for calling in, Frank. It's great to see you, and uh, thanks for watching today. Well, thank you so much, and thank you um, from the bottom of my heart for having Nicole on. She's one of my favorite poets, and it was <laughs> thrilling to uh, listen to her. Oh, one of my favorite poets, too. And, and the cool thing is, you know, we published her book, um, and I've known her for a long time, but I've never actually talked to her before. And um, so to be able to see somebody and hear her voice, it's such a fun thing to be able to do. Um, so thanks so much for, for calling in. And um, where are you calling from, I, I should ask? I am calling from Middlebrook Heights, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, well, so what do you have for us tonight, Frank? Uh, so what I have tonight is a poem that uh, first appeared in World Literature today. It's called 52, and it starts with a head note. Um, and I'm trying to read this without my glasses because there's so much of a glare, so wish me luck. Okay, good luck. Uh, so uh, here's the head note, which is uh, 52 is the moniker given to an unidentified whale, which is most likely a blue or fin whose high-pitched vocalizations at a frequency of 52 hertz are unique among such mammals. Other whales do not respond to his calls, and this hmm. has led some to label him the loneliest whale in the world. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it's cool. So uh, this is 52. Whether blue or fin or offspring of some uncommon union of each, I hope they never find you that your song smoothing its waves across the oscilloscope screens from Kodiak Island to California's fractured coast is never traced to the swirled wake of your singular breaches. Let the compassionate imagine you lonely, dream of soothing you in their sleek wetsuits and webbed gloves. Let the brokenhearted call you brokenhearted too. And the ones who don't fit in let them ink your slender lines along their biceps, needle your flukes across their backs like flightless wings. But let me conceive you beyond hapless solitude, beyond what's particular, unrequited, apart. Let me envision you a behemoth beyond betrayal, beyond desire for anything more than the titanic world through which you sail, your shadow longer than the broken-backed wrecks you pass over like some barnacled holy ghost. Fifty-two, not even a name, just the frequency you sing at, a number driven belly-deep into your legend 
like a harpoon fired over the foam-flacked gunnels of a North Pacific whaler. 52. Swallower of messages sealed in bottles. Pack mule for each grief or joy we make you bear. Monarch of misfits. Psalmist of an unknown tongue. May you drift beyond our seeing when gulls at last descend to lift your flesh in red mouthfuls. Weightlessness of water exchanged for weightlessness of air. Ooh, great poem, Frank. Great way to close it out. And a perfect poem to go with uh, Nicole Brown's work, too. Thanks so much for, for calling in. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Hope you call in again. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Good night. So that was it for today, but what a great show. I think this might be my favorite show of all the shows so far. Uh, number 18. Uh, good stuff. Um, let's see. Next week. A little background music going. Um, so next week we will have um, Bob Hickok. Uh, Bob Hickok's most recent book is Hold from, uh, is it Copper Canyon? I think it's Copper Canyon. But he's going to be reading poems from a new manuscript. Bob Hickok is a really interesting person. Every time I talk to Bob, um, it's kind of surprising. Um, You know, Bob Hickok was the only poet who ever um, didn't want to look at a, uh, the, the transcript of our interview. We interviewed Bob at issue number 29. We've published him a whole bunch of times. But most people like want to revise and make sure they like what they said for those interviews that we publish. And Bob was just like, yeah, whatever I said, just publish it. And it's the same kind of vibe here because Bob didn't want to do uh, Hold. He wanted to um, talk about his book. Oops. He wanted to talk about his book. Um, I don't even know what it is, but it's his forthcoming book. So that's what he's be reading from. Uh, next Tuesday, November 26th. So join us for that. And in the meantime, I um, hope you have a great night and we'll see you next week. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>